On Aviation Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of On Aviation Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Orlando. I am Danielle. Um, gonna give it to Orlando to give us a um, preamble on what's coming up. All right. Thank you, Danny. Hey, I'm very excited about this topic today. Um, I think what we want to discuss today, based on uh, what we're seeing here, is just a little bit of tech in aviation, and just to get an understanding, a better understanding of what's going on there with tech in aviation. I'm pretty, I'm looking forward, looking forward to discussing that. Uh, our subject matter expert in house is Daniel on tech, and I'm, I'm eager, eager to hear what we're going to discuss today regarding this topic. Thanks, Daniel. Back over to you. Thank you, Orlando. This week is, is it's going to be an interesting one. Um, we have a lot of stuff going on in the aviation industry that is a little bit tech related. We have um, airlines trying to get to their net zero emission target. We have um, EVTOL. We have also um, a lot going on with the 5G carriers uh, versus aviation industry. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead. So uh, first topic that we're going to take a look at um, today. Boeing is launching a data tool uh, to um, to chart path to net zero emissions targets. So basically, it's a tool that's going to be helping them um, understand how much they're going to be um, reducing their emissions. And I think it's pretty, it's really nice to see the aviation industry get a little bit more serious about this. Um, especially at a time like this whereby there's like an economic situation that I'm pretty sure is also uh, um, affecting the aviation industry in some way. Um, last year, we did see a lot of um, a lot of things coming up with the aviation industry trying to basically um, switch to hydrogen as part of this plan. And there was so much that was going on um, in that part because we have both the airports and the airlines that had to adapt to new stuff, and that's a whole lot of ex a whole lot of expense for both of these parties, and um, not to mention the time that it's going to take to switch to um, other sources of fuel. Well, I think it's definitely worth it, but I want to definitely see where this goes. Um, this year, we see a lot of more seriousness with um, that end, and I feel like there's so much yet that that needs to happen. Um, there's um, there's there's something Delta did want to um, not Delta, I think it was uh, Southwest, if I'm not if I'm not wrong, but uh, some airlines definitely did want to switch to hydrogen, and that's. Um, that that has not happened yet. There's some experiments that have been occurring um, over the past few um, years. It's pretty much something that's definitely um, going to happen soon. But I want to hear from Orlando. What are your thoughts on this um, change? Yeah, I think from from an economic perspective, I believe it's difficult to do because uh, the first thing is that the emissions might have come down. The emissions quotas might have come down from governments. The free market didn't actually ask for emissions. Government asked for that because they have green uh, green mandates, uh, especially in Europe. And so the air airlines have been trying to comply with the green mandates. And, and so they've been trying to create these tools. We see, I think I see that with 
the forerunner to me, in my opinion, is is Airbus, right? They've they've been at the head of this thing uh, with this net zero zero thing. They have a, a they actually have a project called Zero E, I believe, um, or something like that, uh, where they outfitted a Airbus A380 and they're testing out different fuel fuel combinations. And I believe uh, a Rolls Royce built a hydrogen engine the other day, and it was pretty cool. Uh, but just from my in my my opinion, it's all driven from the top down, right? It's not market driven. It's driven from uh, governments wanting to uh, have a green, 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 uh, green objectives. Uh, whether you believe you whether you agree with that or not, that's, that's probably a topic for another podcast. But I think uh, that's where it, it, it it's being driven. Now the economics of it is tough because it takes a lot of research, and these guys are not getting this money just getting this money for free, right? Are they not just getting money out of thin air? They have to earn this money to develop this stuff. And the needs payoff may be a little bit wa- a little bit wobbly there. And so I think I read an article today that's saying that, you know, the, air, the aviation industry is not investing as much in green. And there's reasons for that in sustainable field, but there's many reasons for that. But that's that's what I think. But, but I had a question, though, regarding the green energy uh, are you seeing are, are you seeing different technologies being applied regarding because I know Airbus is doing something, Boeing is doing something. Uh, there are other airlines that said I, I think it was Southwest, right? Uh, trying to look at, at hydrogen. So what are the different technologies? Because I know that you know sustainable aviation fuel is is a whole bunch of different things. Uh, we saw an article once where they actually using cooking oil in France. So there's a whole bunch of different things that can go. What are the what are the various things that you're seeing in terms of what is being used for this green stuff? Thanks, Orlando. Yes, uh, that's a great question. So I see a lot of technologies being implemented. The main ones that I'm quite familiar with is the hydrogen tech. And there are other types of fuels that are mentioned to be sustainable. And yeah, it's Southwest Airlines, actually. I think they were the first commercial airlines to bring um, sustainable uh, fuel, aviation fuel. And um, I think that was in Oakland Airport. So um, basically, uh, Southwest's goal was to replace 10% of its total jet fuel consumption with SAF, uh, that's sustainable aviation fuel, by 2030, which is an important step towards its long-term goal to achieve like carbon neutral- n- neutrality by 2050. So I feel like uh, I feel like uh, there's. Uh, I th- I'm not sure there's a uniform um, method of getting to that point, but at the same time, um, all these airlines have the same goal. And I think as long as um, they're on the same page, I I feel like it's a good move. But as you mentioned um, earlier, it is definitely being pushed by the government. I kind of feel the same way uh but i at the same time i do see the positive impact i like i I like the environment i like like having um uh, making sure that uh whatever i'm doing is uh good for the environment however if i see the impact is too small or minimal i generally just don't um not say don't care but i don't think that the there's a need of making some significant moves at an unnecessary time. So like right now, we're definitely trying to push this, uh, this push right now with uh, getting to net zero emissions. Um, as of now, we have um, 
aviation being responsible for over two percent of global co2 emissions um which it's it's high um it's definitely gonna go down with uh with some time right now we have also electric airplanes which are nice i see a lot of uh flight schools uh slowly adapting to that there's some flight schools that um have invested in getting a lot of um electric airplanes which is really good um I, th- I think definitely there's some sort of training that pilots will get um, uh, in order to use uh, instruments that might change because of this. But um, yeah, there's there's just so much that needs to go on in order for people to catch up to this. So I don't think it's going to happen in a very short time. It's going to take a while, but I feel like the changes have already happened. Um, if, I'll, if, if, re- if airports had to randomly... Um, switch to um, containing hydrogen fuel, I feel like that would definitely have a lot of um, regulations be made because I, I get the that hydrogen is a bit uh, combustible, more, more combustible than um, a regular jet fuel. So I feel like there's a lot of things that would need to happen so that they are um, stored safely at airports. At the same time, I'm thinking about how airplanes um, are going to be so right now we have aircraft being bought that is still powered by jet fuel um and yeah that just shows that um it even if it's going to happen in the new future it's not it it's it might take some time but um but i'm honestly looking forward to this uh to be honest i want to see what impact it has um on a short term at least if we have about 10 percent of aircrafts um, in the U.S. alone, um, operating, um, I feel like we would be able to get enough data to understand uh, where we're heading to. Um, but yeah, back to what Boeing had launched. They had launched a tool called Cascade, which basically allows users to adjust different variables, such as um, the use of sustainable fuels or electric propulsion, or the or also the replacement of older model aircraft. Um, operational improvements and other advanced technology to better understand how those factors could result in increase to carbon emissions over time. So this is something that definitely a lot of um, airlines or uh, businesses in aviation might use in order to understand what exactly they can do to adjust um, to adjust their emissions. I feel like it's definitely a good move. This is one of actually data is vital for us to make sure that we're actually going in the right path towards this. So um, Boeing unveiled a beta version of Cascade in July last year, but it was not publicly available. And um, over the past year, the model has been improved so that users can project data out of, out to 2015 instead of visualizing only a single point in time. So when you get to see everything um, on a chart, it, it, you definitely get a big picture of how big the impact's going to be. But I feel like um, even though with modern technology, uh, there are some factors that are unforeseen. So um, that's just data that predicts it. It's not actual data. So I'm um, curious to see what, um, what, what, uh, what analysts will come up with uh, what data analysts will come up with once they get to use this. I want to see 
how this might turn out. Uh, what are your thoughts on the tool, Orlando? I, I, my question first is: is the tool uh, a tool that is being used for sustainable aviation fuels, or it's being used on conventional JP5 slash Jet A fuel engines? That is, it's being used on those engines to check emissions, to be able to control emissions on those conventional jet engines, so to speak. Or this is a tool that is being used on newer prototype engines for uh, sustainable aviation fuels. To my understanding, I think Cascade, uh, because the tool is uh, not available to us yet, but it is available to um, aviation businesses. This tool, as they explained, it's 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 you can you can combine different variables, um, but I don't think it is limited to just specific types of jet engines. So you have the use of sustainable uh, fuels, and at the same time, you have electronic propulsion. I'm yet to understand. Um, I'm yet to know if it uh, if they if they support all types of engines in order to be a little bit more. Um, a little bit more broad in, uh, in in getting the full picture, but I do expect it to be because without understanding how each aircraft, each aircraft we have that burns jet fuel works, we're not able to get um, adequate data. So I do expect it to at least support, have a wider support of all types of engines. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Because the reason why I ask is because I know that, I think it's GE. GE, whenever they make, like, for example, when they make the, the Trent engine, the big engine, I think that engine goes on uh, triple sevens. Mm-hmm. That's Ro- GE, Rolls-Royce Trent. Rolls-Royce is Trent. I am so sorry. So I think GE, when they do their engine, I believe they have uh, a two setup that they do, two things that happens. They sell the engine, and then they make an AI version of the engine on a computer. And then... As the engine run in the real world, they are running the engine almost simultaneously on a computer. And then they can watch the engine on a computer, right? With certain variables, certain eventualities, like, you know, if there is a, a say, a turbine blade that was designed that with the material was substandard, they didn't know that, then they can't account for that, but they can probably have a probabilistic understanding of that. But what they're doing is actually running the engine's side by side the 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 fictitious engine that's not real just running by the machine machine learning algorithm and then the real engine is running and then they can actually predict that okay based on how you run that engine based on the data you're set we're the telemetry we're getting from your in the telemetry it's a different thing based on the data you're getting from the we're getting from your engine as you run it we expect that this is going to happen so you should service it now or do this to it now see so i know that i think ge was doing that I think if I, I think Rolls Royce is the one that does the Trent engines, right? Um, but I think GE was doing that, and um, that's something that. So I was wondering if it's something like that. But from what it seems as if this seems as if it's just using some algorithmic, some some machine learning algorithm. And and pardon me, uh, my friend, I generally don't like calling <laughs> this thing AI because there's nothing intelligence about artificial intelligence, right? It may seem intelligent, it's not. It's just. It's just predictive algorithms, right? So I like to call it machine learning algorithms. So the machine learning algorithms that that uh, 
Boeing is using. That's mostly for anyone can put some variables in and then the machine learning algorithm will kind of punch out and say, okay, just so I can understand, put out some data and say, okay, based on this engine you're running, based on this concept that you have, this would be your, your carbon footprint, so to speak. Is that what it is? Yes, it, it, it that's basically it. And you're right. This is not um, AI is very misused um, today. It's, it's I feel like it's it's been a marketing tactic in the tech world. So whenever you, whenever something smart happens with ChatGPT or all these other AI products, um, other companies tend to put in their quote unquote AI technologies um, in their marketing strategy so that they can um, uh, basically have a good consumer uh, size believing that their products are good but uh, in this in this aspect it's not it, it's not exactly artificial intelligence there might be actual artificial in- intelligence in it but um, when it comes to calculating data um, this is something that has been there for quite some time when you're combining multiple data input in order to come up with a prediction this has been there before ai and so if we are able to understand um um how much uh fuel is being burned and how much energy is being produced um we can definitely get a prediction of how this will impact uh both the um, aviation industry, I think, in terms of cost, but at the same time, we can also see uh, the emissions um, at the same time. So I, I'm not sure if they actually will have, uh, which is something different, Will they, if they will have something that might show how much um, fuel that might be burning uh, so that they can probably give a, an estimation of how much the airlines will spend or the company that might be um, running the aircraft with hydrogen fuel or any other type of fuel that's sustainable. But okay. yes, um, to answer your question, um, it, 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 it's it's a combination of data. Um, and and um, when you combine data and understand, like you explained it, there has to be some sort of simulation into it. So I, what, I, what I guess happened is they'd have to probably run an actual engine and put in the numbers uh, in the in the in their system in order to have some sort of wow. simulation and when you once you have this simulation then you're able to actually use that data to against other data to give a accurate prediction at the end of it uh, so that's very good so thank you for explaining that you know boeing has been doing this for a decade though they had a thing they called the boeing fleet planner Right. Mm -hmm. And the Boeing fleet planner would be used by airlines back in the day before deregulation. So before deregulation, when the cap system was in place, right, the Civil Aeronautical Board Mm -hmm. had their system in place. And uh, the airlines would plan how what what airfare should be. And Boeing had a thing called a fleet planner. And what they would do, they would Mm -hmm. put the airlines would put in what the what airlines they're working with, what the cap, what the. Why, whatever the body size, wide body, what engine, whatever the aircraft, and then Boeing has the fleet plan would spit out a number as to what the airfare should be, right, and how much passenger they can expect. But uh-huh. that system was a little weird because the airfares was set by the by cap by Civil Aeronautical Board, and 
they can only fly one set of routes, the routes that were authorized by the aeronautical board because it was regulated. And so, but Boeing, but that, that being said though, Boeing has been doing this for a while and Boeing does other things like this too. So it just reminds me of that. I just wanted to, wanted to mention that, but I find it, find this fascinating uh, how Boeing is, what Boeing is doing here uh, and getting into that space and, and, and providing the thing. Boeing has always been like that though. Boeing has always been like that. Uh, Garmin is, I believe Garmin is owned by Boeing, right? And, and I think ForeFlight is not owned by Boeing. So Boeing like to buy up these, these, these companies that these high, these, this, this techs, right? These high tech in aviation, right? So uh, Boeing has right. been doing this for a while. So let's see what it comes up. But, but I'm eager to hear more if you have more to discuss on this. But I think this is, this is pretty, pretty fascinating. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an analytic tool that could be used to see what are the what are the real possibilities for it's with something like say SAF sustainable aviation fuels because you could run some simulation and realize that it's not panning out to what we expect it to be in terms of because you know right. I don't want to talk too long here but the famous Thomas Sowell would say all right you ask three questions whenever anything is proposed so mm -hmm. we need to reduce Carbon emissions. Use this one for example. Reduce carbon emission relative to what? Right? And then, yeah, relative to, uh, you know, conventional hydrocarbon fuels. Okay? Right. All right. The next question would be at what cost? Right? Very, very important questions. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the cost and say, can we do that at this cost? Does it mean that airfare will go up? Does it mean that air travel would slow down? Does it mean that less business or people will be out of jobs because less 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 flights because of you know these objectives? And before I go to Thomas Sowell's third question to ask, just note that this 2030 is coinciding with most government's man mandate as well. So it's it's coming from the government. Whether it's a good or a bad thing, we leave it up to the viewers to decide. I like the mantra put down by a man called Gerald Slenty, think for yourself, right? So you think for yourself and figure out that's good for you. But to, to Thomas Sowell, question three, so the first question is relative um, to what? The second one is at what cost? What financial, social, political, uh, freedom, whatever cost you want to put at it. And the third question is, where is your data to back this up? What data do you have to back, this, back up this argument? And those questions are always important to ask whenever you're trying to drastically change any system like the one we have now. But I just want to throw this out there. But back over to you, Danny. Thanks. Those are great questions, Orlando. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, these, these, these are vital things to understand, um, to question, actually, before you understand the impact of uh, the change and um, to actually figure out if it's going to be worth it or not. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to move on to the next topic, uh, which is EVTOL. And for those who are unfamiliar with EVTOL, um, these are um, EVTOLs are basically um, electric uh, vehicles and um, electric uh, aircraft that can be used. Uh, another term that's uh, simpler, it's flying taxis. Um, so electric vehicle, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft um, have been touted as the future of urban air mobility. So um, right now we're seeing them go a little bit more public. It's a little bit exciting to see um, 
to see this actually happen because for quite some time people have been wanting to see flying airplanes and we it's not not flying airplanes but flying cars and uh, a lot of people had a different idea of how that's going to look like and if if anyone of you and the audience have watched uh the jetsons i think you'd have you pretty much expected the same kind of picture um but it turns out that picture hey, might... i love jetsons i thank you for that reference i love <laughs> the jetsons it's cool meet george jetsons let me not sing it sing it here on a podcast but it's pretty cool i like it thanks for that reference <laughs> absolutely it, it was my favorite cartoon long ago um i i i enjoyed watching uh uh shows or cartoons that would be a little bit um uh, futuristic and the things that we expect in the near future and um so this week we actually saw a little bit of uh, pro uh, progress on flying taxis uh, so right now we have the the uh biden administration said uh recently that it has formed an inter-agency team to develop a national strategy relating to advanced air mobility efforts so uh, that includes the EVTOL um, or flying taxis. And right now there's a team that's actually working on it, uh, working on um, having some sort of blueprint. And this team involves the US DOT, um, NASA, we have the TSA, the FAA, and the FCC. And right now this blueprint they have is basically um, Putting, putting out a picture of how the entire infrastructure, infrastructure is going to look like. Uh, so right now, uh, they wanted to begin. They wanted they want to begin the operations at a low rate, uh, similar to how helicopters are um, are being used. And it's going to have its own kind of a path, not path, but routes on the air, similar to how helicopters or, or airports do. And they're going to have their own helipads or what they call vertiports and it seems it, it's a little bit out of the picture from what i expected because what i imagined this is someone just going to their parking lot outside of their complex or house and immediately getting into their car and just flying about uh but i think everything starts somewhere uh maybe we're heading there but we have to definitely understand that this is um this is a flying. Um, this is something that that's flying. It's a flying vehicle. It's going to be in the air, so there has to there has to be some sort of regulations to it. There uh, has to be a slow pace towards uh, people adapting to it. Um, I'm not sure how much of them um, are going to be in the air in the future. Uh, I'm not sure what the qualification to be able to drive these are going to be, um, but. I'm excited to see that. Orlando, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been, this thing has been a while. I think one of my favorite, uh, you know, eVTOL um, companies, a company, I think it was a Silicon Valley called, uh, I think, Open Opener. It was cool. They're, they, they, I think they call their Black Fly. Oh, there's it. There's a super cool. There's just ridiculously cool. And, uh, you know, I've been, been looking at this stuff for a while. I think what what the FAA is trying to do is just to work these people into the airspace system, you know, because the airspace system is complex. And the truth is, flying an EV flying an EV is way simpler than flying an aircraft. 
right? Because it's like playing a game. Like it's just like flying a regular drone with the two two little toggle, two little joysticks, and you know it's it's the same. Yeah. Right. It's just that you're huh. sitting in it. So, uh, right. I think what will happen eventually is that if once a, the system is set up where they can interact in the airspace safely, then you're gonna have people just flying out of their garage. I think because currently you have you do have you do have um, air parks, right? So people literally have, in the air yeah. parks, they don't have garage, they have hangars, right? And they fly into their home, right? They fly to their home, the little air park, and they fly in. So that's a thing across the entire country. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a thing. It's just that these folks are trying to, I think they're trying to figure out how to make, incorporate this into the airspace. Just like how they're incorporating drones into the airspace. They have to find a way to incorporate this into airspace. And the airspace is going to be more and more and more crowded. Uh, so there's just so much to deal with. So I, I guess that, but as, as, just like you, I'm, I'm very eager to see where this goes, right? Uh, people just, just flying about, just jumping a thing. And then I can't, you know, before I close out my little, what my thoughts on this topic, on this point, is the economics of it. Because I promise you, once things go sideways in the economy, you'll see less of these EV tall thing unless the government is going to fund it. Because a lot of the funding comes from the private sector, from venture capital firm. And if they can park their money elsewhere, that's less risky because interest rates are higher. You're going to see less investment in the space. All right. So that should be a thing, too, uh, with that. So and then remember, uh, regulations don't make things smoother. They may ap- uh, apply for safety and so on and so forth. But the regulations tend to make things go a lot slower than normal. Right. So that's just my thoughts on it. Great thought about that. Um, you just reminded me about uh, when you mentioned the uh, the fly parks. There, there's something that came into my mind. Um, there, there's flying fly-in housing communities. That's a thing, um, whereby you buy a house that's attached to a runway, so you can basically uh, get out of your house and get into your aircraft and fly out, which is an actual thing. So that's one thing that. I feel like is that's that's the one thing I love about here. We there's a lot of um, deregulation to the point that people are comfortable having these kind of structures so people can fly about just anyhow. So it's I, I think we're definitely getting somewhere good with it. In terms of the costs, there's the, I feel like it's 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 there's some mixed feelings about it. I feel like people would definitely spend a lot of money unnecessarily on something like this because this is something exciting. It's not one of those things that um, I feel like. I feel like in the tech world, we look at something and you see like that's an, an unnecessary expense. It's something cool. It looks futuristic, but it's a gimmick. It's just something that looks cool, but not might. It might not be as useful. But for someone who's thinking about uh, flying over the LA traffic to get to LAX faster, or someone who just does not like uh, getting through the New York, New Jersey traffic, and you can just fly building to building because how how many buildings in New York have helipads? That sounds exciting. And for many people, I think if they have, um, quote unquote, uh, disposable income for this they would definitely invest in something like that so yeah i'm looking i'm looking forward to see what happens with 
people get their hands on these kind of aircrafts and when they come out um, to the public, how how people are going to be uh, buying these um, aircrafts. I'd like to see the rate of it. The other thing today, um, they're going to be taking a look at is uh, the 5G operations. So uh, we've been having a lot of things going on in between the um, aviation the aviation industry and also um, the uh, broad uh, the broadband. I'm not sure if I should call it broadband, but basically these telecom companies that wants to put 5G um, that wants to make 5G available to everyone, including nearby airports or within the airports, which came as a big concern because um, we have a lot of uh, people who um, we 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 have a lot of people who use their uh, phones whenever they're in within the aircrafts, and uh, the bandwidth uh, that the five the the five G network uses. Um, was said to be risky for some components in the aircraft. So um, specifically, it's the radio altimeter, which basically allows the aircraft to get to know the distance from the air to the ground. So if if it, if it did affect these tools, then definitely um, it would have some sort of impact or um, some sort of um, inaccurate readings for people who are landing or taking off from airports um but yeah there's so far i think last year uh the end of uh last year briefings ended with the um avian aviation industry having a deadline for them to move to different sort of tools radio altimeters that would support not support but there would be sort of like proof from the 5g um, broadband, uh, uh, the bandwidth uh, network. So it's it, it's a little bit complicated because uh, during that time, the supply chain was not meeting their timeline. So they had to push it to this year. I'm not sure the exact end date of this uh, deadline extension, but basically Garmin joined in uh, a coalition to protect radio altimeters from 5G. Um, by basically uh, creating a tool that would overcome uh, this this type of um, issue uh, with the 5G network. So the aviation petitioners asked the FCC to reconsider uh, last year, uh, but that did not work out. So um, hopefully things uh, do work out this year so that we can have, we can make sure that at least uh, people are safe flying. I'm not, what, what really has me a little bit upset about this is the push for 5G, which is unnecessary. To be honest, I, I think 5G is terrible still. Um, it's not as good, even with where I'm at right now. It's just terrible. Um, I'm not near an airport, just somewhere regular with good service. I switched to LTE 4G because it's way better. I'm not sure if it's the same for your Orlando, but I feel like this 5G was a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, and I, I, gotta, I feel like I it's also yeah. I'd have to agree yeah. with you. I think I think it's unnecessary. 4G LTE is fast enough. I think AT and T don't even provide. They just do this 5G E thing, Edge, which is not real 5G. Mm-hmm. And because the frequency is so sharp, it's a higher frequency. Um, 
it, it requires better line of sight. And so it doesn't work. And that's why radio altimeter, as you, you beautifully said, it, radio altimeter actually use line of sight. It bounces a signal from the aircraft to the ground. When it hits a solid surface, it's bounced back. And then it calculates the, the time it travels. And it knows the speed of the, the wave. And so it calculates the distance. Hmm. And so what they're saying is that if you have the 5G network, which is in the same frequency range, it can actually disrupt that. Uh, but again... Uh, as as, you, as we said before, what what are the costs? So we want 5G and we're pushing 5G, you know, you know, because the broadcast commission, blah, 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 you know, all that good stuff. But at what cost? Is it really needed? I don't think 5G is needed. You talk about, oh, the phone is fast, but you literally have to be standing right next to the pole. You can't be in your house because you pass through two houses and you can't get it. So I think it's 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 a it's a big sound about nothing in a sense. And most people don't even experience 5G. And most of us do not need it. I just think it's no doubt. I'm a big, I'm a big iPhone. I'm a big Apple product kind of guy. But I can tell you, it's like the iPhone 14. It's unnecessary. I have a, I have a 10, and the thing is just as good. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is good. Okay, so it's like all yeah. these, these development. It's, it's really, it's really just to sell more stuff. I'm not saying selling is bad, you know, because products are good. But in this case, when it comes at a cost like this. The cost of safety, the cost of business, the cost of other industries, when it's not really necessary, then you got to think about it. But anyway, that's what I think there. Absolutely. You're right. Um, it's 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 absolutely unnecessary. And yeah, I feel like uh, off late I've been having, personally, I get a lot of issues with 5G. Um, so I it's it's been a constant complaint um, with my service provider about this so I, I don't think it's something that uh, the airlines or um aviation, aviation industries should be pushed about you know it's it, this is aviation you're carrying people's lives in the air 30,000 feet so no i i feel like there's uh, some sort of priority balance here so uh, i think that is, if my if my memory serves me correctly i think it is the telephone companies that are pushing but the airlines are pushing back saying that are uh-huh. the airports are they're pushing back saying hey um it's gonna be a problem i think honeywell is really working on uh you know hits radar altimeters to make sure that they are compliant and so on but yeah it is just a situation where one sets part of the market the one one set of regulated people which is the broadcast people which really is a radio radio broadcast well, because phone transmit via radio frequencies then the broadcast commission is involved and i think because they have an interest they are lobbying to get this thing done and then the the airport the airlines are lobbying to push back like hey dude come on guys this stuff it's, it's pretty dangerous because if we are landing yeah. what pretty much would happen if, if this is implemented and, and the radar altimeter is is not uh fixed uh, or adapted uh, or modified to adapt to the frequency meaning they would have to not be so close to the frequency right because it couldn't interfere if it's not adapted right. pretty much what could happen is that you're flying in on what is called a category three ils approach where you literally can't see nothing until you're like you know 50 feet above the, the airport over the runway and i'm sure listeners mm-hmm. have seen that where they can't see nothing and all of a sudden the plane is stopping like what we're on the ground i couldn't see outside at all that would be considered a category three landing right auto landing right, right in a sense and so you need a radar altimeter for that because it's a radar altimeter that, yeah. that allows the plane to be able to land like that. Airbus would have a problem because Airbus uses these radar altimeters for auto landings, right? And so mm-hmm. 
it will be a big problem. So at what cost, you know, at what cost? Uh, yeah, uh, it's. I feel like it's. Um, it, it, it's. It's. It's been a a unnecessary push. But I, let's see how uh, how this goes. Let's see how it rolls out um, by the end of the year. Since now Garmin and you mentioned Honeywell are working on solutions, I hope they can get to um, getting out the solution uh, faster. Or actually, I think producing the actual equipment uh, much faster because we're not able to meet the requirement uh, last year. Um, so hopefully we have a success for that because aviation is just best when it's safe. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's something that people should be looking forward to or, or pushing is that, you know, for safety. Uh, but other than that, I, I also want to see um, how this is affecting the private sector. I do have a lot of times we talk about airlines, but I do wonder how these uh, private sector um, companies do handle this kind of situation, like uh, private jet companies or people who do fly aircraft for different purposes. Um, I feel like there's uh, there, 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 there's going to be some sort of changes uh, on that sector. Linda, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that's a very good point you made. We talk a lot about airlines because they are the ones with the, the heavy lifting power to lobby, you know, regulations, and they're the ones we see them most of the time. Uh, the first yeah. thing is that general aviation will not be affected, right? So we flying around our Cessna and our Pipers and our the, the, and you know our Duchesses and little aircraft won't be affected. Even aircraft that carry more people, like you know six, seven folks, uh, you know won't be affected because they don't have radar altimeters. But as you stated, private charters do, right? Your Bombardiers, uh, your your Phenoms, your you know these aircraft. You know, your Gulfstream, they do use radar altimeter as well. And those aircraft generally have Honeywell systems in them, but they do, sometimes they use Garmin as well, but they do use uh, radar altimeter. But how do they, they do have a say, but the folks with the heavy lifting is the is the airlines. The airlines really have the a massive, more, a lot more resources to punch at this stuff, right? And they have the most to lose, not that private charter don't have anything to lose if, a, if an aircraft goes down, but if... If a triple seven goes down with 400 souls on board, that's not cool, right? Not cool. Not a good day at all. So, or, or a 380 goes down with 500 souls on board, that's not a good day. So, uh, yeah. they have a, the most to lose. But that's a very good point. It seems as if everything that a, a situation like this would be the 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 uh, big brother have a take. But big, I wouldn't like to use that term. Big brother sounds much like 1984, but. Uh, you know, your older sibling has to take care of it, right? Like, okay, I'll go out there because, you know, we'll go punch them in the face because they're they're doing bad or we'll go, we'll go rough them up a little bit. But then we're like, okay, you go. And then, you know, the, the charter guys sit back and go like, okay, they're taking care of it. Let's see if it, what happens. And they can have their own say mm -hmm. too, right? But they they would have to come as strength in numbers while one or two of the major airlines can go tackle this stuff and get much more effect mm -hmm. out of it. So that's what I think about it, actually. Awesome. Yeah, that that's a that's a great thought. Yeah, it's uh it's uh, these are these are smaller aircrafts. Um, definitely are not going to be affected. Uh, but yeah, when you when you come, when you talk about airlines, uh, there's a lot of um, more to it. There's a lot more people um being, uh, uh, uh being on the plane, and also uh, there's a lot of uh, stake to lose reputation, and also, uh, in terms of finance, but. Um, 
yeah, let's see how these uh, these this turns out. And I think that's pretty much it. Uh, we we wrapped up. Uh, uh, just to wrap up, we talked about uh, pretty much uh, what's new in um, what's new in the net zero goals uh, for aviation. We talked about um, the Eve tolls, which are basically flying taxis. Looking forward to that, especially want to see how that goes. Uh, and a final word on that: um, it seems like it's going to be taking off at the end of next year, according to uh, the FAA. But hopefully that goes well. I'm excited to try that out. And we also talked 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 about um, 5G versus the aviation industry. I'm hoping uh, aviation is going to be more safer as 5G rolls out during these days. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts, Orlando? Yeah, I think these are all great topics, are really good topics that we need to dive into. Uh, generally on the podcast, we just talk, we talk a lot about economics, but it's really good to just talk about some of the things that are happening out there outside of the economic side and then kind of blend that in with the economics the business, the in the pocketbook stuff, how it affects your purse type deal. But I think this was a really good topic, and I hope folks like this one. Uh, really, really, really cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Orlando. Thank you so much for listening to the uh, to this podcast. And if you have any thoughts, anything to share about what we just talked about, feel free to leave any comments on the platform, on whichever platform I'm going to be listening to, or on our main website on dash aviation.com um thank you so much for being an audience to us and uh please uh tell us what you think thanks so much and have a great rest of your week <laughs>